the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Matthew is written for the Jewish mind. Jesus is the Messiah. This is who he is. This is what he believes. Mark is written for the Roman mind. Luke is written for the Greek mind. And John is written for everyone. And so we are here in Matthew's gospel. He's going to be speaking to his disciples right beneath his feet. And there are these crowds all around him. And he's going to lay out for them the Jewish law as it was meant to be taught. God's word as it was meant to be understood. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We want to welcome back all of you who are regular listeners to the program. And if you're listening today for the first time, then you picked a great day to join us as Pastor Keith is beginning a brand new teaching series walking us through the Sermon on the Mount, a series Pastor Keith has entitled Successful Kingdom Living. On today's broadcast... We'll get to listen in on a conversation between Pastor Keith and Hillside's John O'Berlini as they get us up to speed on everything happening here at Hillside, as well as kick off this new teaching series. Here's John and Pastor Keith. First question for you, Keith, is how are you doing and how do you feel like the ministry at Hillside Church is going right now? Well, I'm doing great. God is good. He, his mercies are new every single day. Uh, as far as the ministry at Hillside, I think it's going well. You know, uh, it's sort of like turning an aircraft carrier around. You bring her around slowly. And I'm just grateful to God for His goodness. The church continues to grow. Our outreach continues to expand. Uh, And we're just thrilled. We're just thankful to God. Uh, And I'm thrilled to have the privilege of preaching His Word and shepherding His people. Sure. On that topic, let's get into the next sermon series. What caused you or what inspired you to preach the Sermon on the Mountain, to walk Hillside through step-by-step what Jesus was talking about in that series. Well, if you remember uh, two Easter's ago, we began a series called Decoding Jesus on the Gospel of John. And we took a few months off from that series, but essentially we asked and answered the question, who is Jesus Christ? So having done that and having finished the series on John's Gospel, we turned our attention to, and what did he teach? What did he say? And the Sermon on the Mount is the only intact sermon of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, I know there are some uh, liberal or unorthodox 
religiously unorthodox critics who say the Sermon on the Mount is just a compilation of his stories and of his teachings. But the, the biblical record indicates otherwise. And so I wanted to walk people through what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus is a... There are people who love Jesus, but they have all kind of peculiar pictures of Jesus. He was just a great teacher. He was a man. He was a miracle worker. Well, the Gospel of John, and Jesus in the Gospel of John, tells us that he's God. And so what did God say? And the Sermon on the Mount is what God said. It's, it's, it's the only intact sermon that God preaches start to finish that we have in one piece in the Bible. Awesome. I guess one question that I have is, what are you excited for the listeners to learn through the Sermon on the Mount about what Jesus calls Christians to be and how he calls them to walk? Sometimes we feel like living the Christian life is an impossible task. And it is a difficult task. The Sermon on the Mount is not about how to become a Christian. It's about how to live as a Christian. And that's why we call the series Successful Kingdom Living. I know the word success conjures up all kinds of crazy ideas, particularly with the prosperity gospel people. But really, the Sermon on the Mount really begins in Matthew chapter 5 with the mindset or the heart of a Christian. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, those that grieve over sin, blessed are the meek, those who have self-control. And then it expands to a discussion, and it still includes the mind of the heart of the law. Jesus says, you heard it said this, but I say to you, and he exposits or explains the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, which was their Bible in that day. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And then he takes it from the, the, the realms of our heart and mind into the realm of worship. If you give, give this way. Don't, you know, don't do your righteousness before men to be seen by them. But if you give to the poor, do it this way. And when you pray, pray like this. And when you fast fast like this. And then we move out of the realm of worship, call it formal, formal worship. We go from the heart, you might say, to the church, and then we go out onto the street. And towards the end of Matthew 6 and for the rest of Matthew 7, uh, you really have what Christianity looks like day in and day out. And I thought that would be helpful and encouraging to the average person at church, the average that they used to say the average person in the pew. And so what I want to do is to take Jesus' sermon and to help us see it as a blueprint for how to live out our faith in a compelling way in a world that needs to see real Christianity uh, so that Christians might have the opportunity to impact those around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Preaching the gospel not just with their lips, but with their lives. I know you've also encouraged us during this series to so let our light shine before the world. Yes. Now, that was one of the key phrases early on, but if you could just take and synthesize all the Sermon on the Mount into one phrase or one sentence, what, do you, what would you say, or what would that be? Well, that's a good question, and I'm not sure I'm up for it, but we'll give it a go. How about that? It would be this, that successful kingdom living is worshiping God by seeking to harmonize your life with his will. Mm. And when we live right side up, because this world is upside down, when we live right side up that way in an upside down world, people notice. And we may have the chance to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, as Peter says. People may say, well, why are you the way you are? How is it that you endure hardship this way? Why are you so kind to people? Why are you so humble? And you may have the opportunity then having lived out your faith in a compelling way 
in a humble, non-hypocritical way to share Christ with someone. And so really, Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live a life that stands out. And that's why it says, So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Because we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. We put God first in our lives. And uh, all the other things that we need, we know that God will provide for us. So we live lives without fear, without being prisoners of anxiety. I'm not saying that life isn't hard. It is. But the Sermon on the Mount really is the antidote for the poisons of this fallen planet, so to speak. Well, I know I'm very excited as we've gone through this series and I've been convicted on on different topics as you walked us through prayer and how significant that is and how we are to pray. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited for the listeners to hear all the different things that you walk them through and really the heart of Christ in telling his people how to live. But is there any last words or any last thoughts you want to share with the audience? Yeah, thanks. I sure do. Remember this, the Sermon on the Mount, and let me just set up the context for it. I sort of do it in this sermon series. But the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' manifesto. It begins, it says, in seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth teaching them, saying, You really have two crowds there. You have Jesus' disciples, the twelve, most likely, and then you have the masses that had been seeing him teach. By this time, John the Baptist has pointed him out. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, He's been baptized, and here you had the Trinity present all at once, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, Jesus, the Son of God, in the water, and the Father's voice saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so the world... In his world, all eyes are on him. Then he goes into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes out and he begins preaching and teaching through the countryside. And now he has this audience and he lays out his his, uh, declaration of independence from religious legalism that had been foisted on the people by the Pharisees. He uh, lays out the constitution for the kingdom of God. He lays out his manifesto, and it is liberating. It is exhilarating. It's challenging, and it's compelling. And it's amazing because, you know, it ends he, as he wraps up the sermon. Uh, and he says, you know, those who hear me and do the things that I've called them to do are like the wise people who built their house upon the rock. And the winds came, and the rains blew, and crashed against that house, but it did not stand. It did, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Those who ignore what I have to say are like the foolish person who built their house upon the sand, and the rains came, the wind blew, and that house crashed, and great was its fall. And then there's this statement, that the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one having authority, not like their scribes. And the bottom line is this. This is a, this Sermon on the Mount, this sermon series is important, Because at the end of the day, everybody has to decide what's it going to be, Jesus or the world. And this sermon lays out what a life lived for Jesus looks like, tastes like, feels like, smells like, and is. And I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful, particularly for the work that Hillside Church has to do in this community in the days ahead. Well, thank you, Keith. And listeners, you've heard it here. This is Keith's heart behind this sermon series. So we are excited to share it with you. And we hope that it blesses, challenges, 
and, and ultimately causes you to look more like Jesus as a result of what Keith is calling you to each week and ultimately what God is calling you to each week. And he's calling us to look more like Jesus and less like our old selves and Amen. less like the world. Thanks, Jono. Thank you, Keith. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be starting off our series today in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Well, today is a special day. Uh, we're beginning a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I have to tell you, for a pastor, there's probably nothing more intimidating than that in a lot of ways. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible sermon. It's uh, one of the only sermons that is recorded in its entirety that Jesus spoke. And it is loaded. You talk about 50 pounds of seed in a five-pound bag. That's what you have there. Our sermon series is entitled Successful Kingdom Living, Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World, because as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you live according to his precepts and principles, according to his commands, you look like you're crazy. You look like you're upside down. You look like you're doing things backwards to some extent, but the reality is you're normal. You're doing what we were intended to do before the fall in the Garden of Eden. And it's the world that's upside down. And that's why a faithful, obedient, loving, Christ-following Christian will stand out rather than blend in. And so, since we've completed the study of the Gospel of John, which pretty much says who Jesus is, I thought we would turn our attention for now to the Sermon on the Mount and understand what Jesus says. Because in it, this is sort of like his uh, manifesto for Christ followers. It is a... For lack of a better term, it, is, uh, it gives us the keys for successful kingdom living, and that's why we have this sermon title. Uh, the trouble is, is when you use the word success in church, it, it connotes all these crazy ideas like health and wealth, prosperity, gospel, and things like that. But this is not what it's about. When you really look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you have to remember Jesus' definition of peace. Peace I give you, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives. Therefore, never let, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Sermon on the Mount provides us keys for successful living as a Christian, not success as the world defines success, not success as the culture defines success, but success as God defines success. Now, the world has all kinds of crazy ideas about success, and I was doing a bumper sticker inventory the other day. You know how you drive down the road and you see these crazy bumper stickers? And here's one. Here's a worldly definition of success here. I think it's right here in this slide. There it is. Success defined, which is what our first sermon's entitled. But here's how the world sees it sometimes. He who dies with the most toys wins. And if you ask me, that is a miserable definition. I mean, if this life is all there is, wow. But, you know, one good bumper sticker deserves another. And so I saw this bumper sticker, and I like this one. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Okay? I mean, how many of you have ever seen a, an armored car following a hearse to the cemetery? Or you don't go into a cemetery and see ATM machines, right? So it's really not about that. But people have all kinds of crazy ideas about success. I have a, a little video I'm going to play that has a well-meaning, misguided understanding of success. It's warm and fuzzy, very Oprah, but very off the mark. We use the word success a lot. And we think we know just what it means. Money, status, fame, and power. But take a look in the dictionary, and things start to look, thankfully, a lot more complicated. Listening a lot, very attentively, mm -hmm. to a child, mm -hmm. or being extremely kind to strangers, or 
filling your mind with interesting ideas and associations, or knowing just when to put an arm around someone when it's too much for them. It's almost impossible to succeed with career and with family, or with popularity and integrity. It's great to be successful. It's even better to make sure you followed your own distinctive and not necessarily always obvious path to the success that can truly fulfill you. But even here, you have this sort of self-centered, man-centered success, which is just as bad as he who dies with the most toys wins. The question is, what is God's understanding of success? What is Jesus' understanding of success? It is laid out for us in no uncertain terms in the Sermon on the Mount. And it is very much not following your own path. You know, what does it say in Proverbs? The one who trusts in his own heart is a fool, right? It's not that. It's not doing what's right in your own sight. It's not doing what's right in the culture's sight. It's really living for God according to his prescriptions, according to his will. And so the Sermon on the Mount for Christ is his, is his declaration of independence for his believers. They are now free from the world's conscriptions and prescriptions. They are free from all the confusion that this world gives. And he lays out for them a manifesto. Let me sort of set up the background for the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew's gospel where it's found, this is a gospel written for the Jewish mindset. You know, there are four gospels. Matthew is written for the Jewish mind. Jesus is the Messiah. This is who he is. This is what he believes. Mark is written for the Roman mind. Luke is written for the Greek mind. And John is written for everyone. And so we are here in Matthew's gospel. He's going to be speaking to his disciples right beneath his feet. And there are these crowds all around him. And he's going to lay out for them the Jewish law as it was meant to be taught. God's word as it was meant to be understood. Now this comes after this comes after John the Baptist identifying him as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This comes after his baptism where Jesus rises up out of the water and the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and the Father's voice is heard to say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's your Trinity, by the way, all in one place, all in one time. And this is after him going into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He's come out, he's been teaching and preaching, he's drawing lots of crowds. John the Baptist certainly didn't hurt any by identifying him as the Messiah. And so he calls some of his disciples to him, the 12. They go up on a mountain, he sits down, the masses follow him. And we read this in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... And he begins to teach. He teaches about our inward heart attitudes. He teaches about how our, how our inward heart attitudes manifest themselves through worship, through service, through giving, through our interactions with people. He describes how a Christian thinks, how a Christ follower thinks. He describes how a Christ follower understands the law. It's not a series of rules. It's a series of attitudes that are manifested through outward behavior. The word of God is just not some legalistic rule book, but it is a mindset. It is written, and he, and he says, you, it, it is written, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he clarifies the law. It's an exposition of the Jewish teaching. It's an exposition of the Old Testament. And it begins that he sits down and he opens his mouth and he says, and begins to teach them, and it ends like this, Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, wa a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, 
and the winds blew and beat on this house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Uh, Some translations indicate overwhelmed. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Now this Sermon on the Mount is about 2,491 English words. Who's counting? But that's what it is in the ESV. In the Greek New Testament, it's about 2,100 words because Greek is a more effective and more colorful language than English. It probably took less than a half hour to deliver, probably more like 20 to 25 minutes. And when he was done, they were bowled over because what he describes for them are the keys to successful kingdom living. And then at the end, he, he, explain, he gives the point of the whole message. And today, as we begin the Sermon on the Mount, we want to understand this is not a code of conduct necessarily. It's not some quaint, you know, the secular world loves the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't written to be admired but obeyed and we need to understand the point of the passage so to rightly introduce the sermon on the mount we begin in matthew 7 24 to 29 now why is this because it seems counterintuitive why do we begin at the end and the reason is simply this the sermon on the mount is what we call an inductive sermon what does that mean for the jewish mind for even today the asian mind Uh, people reasoned inductively. They generalized a principle from a number of principles. And what they did in those days is they might have told a story or had a teaching, and they begin in the general and they end in the specific. In Western thought, in American thought, Canadian thought, European thought, you begin with an idea or a thesis, and you expand it to many, many applications. But in most of the rest of the world, you begin with a number of principles and, you, and it comes down to a big idea. That's called an inductive sermon. It is not to be confused with inductive Bible study. And they're two different animals. They are related. But basically, it's a different form of reasoning. If we look at the next slide here, so first he opens his mouth to teach and he gives them the Beatitudes and the application of Beatitudes and the heart and soul of the law in Matthew 5, 17 to 48. Spiritual practices in John chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 18. He talks about priorities in, in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34. He talks about wisdom and discernment in Matthew 7, 1 through 12. He talks about the actions and the fruit that are born out of that and how we think and live in Matthew 7, 13 to 23. And then he tells us why. Then he gives us the big idea of the sermon. And because we, th- we don't think like they do, we're going to start at the end in this introductory sermon so you'll know why. You see, it's like this. When you have the keys to successful kingdom living, if you don't know what success is or what success means, then all these instructions don't do you a whole lot of good. And so for them, he delivers what some people call a punchline sermon. The big idea comes at the end, not at the beginning. He gives them all these principles, and then they find out why they should listen to him. And in, and in so doing, they begin to realize who he is. And you know, this is not the only uh, sermon like this in the Bible. In fact, there are a lot of these in the Bible. And I'll, here's another example of inductive sermons, of inductive thinking. Nathan confronts David, and at the end he goes, Ataha ish, you are the man. 
He tells the story and the punchline comes. Ecclesiastes says, I tried this and I tried that and I did this and I did that and I realized Ecclesiastes at the end of the message, when all is said and done, fear God and keep his commands. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.